Howdy, howdy, folks. You are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword Program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic Radio Stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the one that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here on the Divine Mercy Program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture where we take advantage of these Catholic radio waves, where we can take some time to go into perhaps a little bit more detail than we otherwise could, maybe like in a Sunday sermon or something like that. And today I want to talk about what's called cooperation with evil. And um, because there's a couple of um, places where this is sort of coming into people's lives, where, you know, where they kind of have to deal with this, and we need to have some clear guidance, which Scripture gives us, and where scripture kind of lets off, the church takes up the slack and fills in the blanks for us. But um, we want to talk about um, when, we, when we find ourselves in a situation where it looks like we're cooperating with evil somehow and um, what we should do about it. And where the whole thing kind of starts is a little bit here is in St. Paul in chapter 3, verse 8. And it's kind of a convoluted thing, so we have to sort of untangle it first, and then we'll, we'll kind of go on from there. But in chapter 3, verse 8, St. Paul says, And why not say, as some people slander us by saying that we say, Let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. Okay, now what does he mean by that? St. Paul says some people are saying that he is saying that we can do evil that good may come of it. But then Paul says, but they're slandering us and they say that. And he says, by saying that, their condemnation is deserved. So we can turn the whole thing around and turn it into kind of a categorical imperative, an imperative statement that quite simply says that we may not do evil that good may come of it. Okay. Can we do something evil if our intention is for something good to come out of that evil act? And the answer is a categorical no. Okay. So the old idea of well, Robin Hood, robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Um, you can't do that. That's evil. Um, stealing people's property, that's a violation of the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. And we cannot willfully, openly, defiantly disobey one of God's commands thinking that we're somehow going to bring something good out of it. That just doesn't work. Because again, as St. Paul says, we may not do evil that good may come of it. Now, the thing is, is that there's a whole bunch of places in life, um, especially in the adult life, where we have to be careful because we find ourselves, you know, kind of almost flirting with cooperating with evil. For example, if someone was to come up to you and say, hey, you can make a fortune here if you invest money. You know, abortion is big business. And here's the XYZ Corporation, and they make, you know, the supplies and stuff that are needed for the abortion industry. And I mean, they're making a lot of money at this. And so if, if you invest your money with the XYZ Corporation, then, you know, in doing so, since they make so much money off the abortion industry, you're going to make a, you know, a 25% return on your investment, which beats the heck out of the 0.1% you're getting on your savings account, right? And so someone says, hey, you know, that sounds good to me. You know, well, the thing of it is, you can't do that, you know, because, you know, we're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not the one that's committing the abortion. I'm not the one that's, you know, driving the, the pregnant woman to the abortuary so she can have her, her child killed. I'm just investing some money here. What, 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 what's the deal? You know, what, what's wrong with that? Well, because in investing in the XYZ corporation that makes stuff for the abortion industry, you know, in order for me to make my money, they have to do a lot of abortions. And so by by investing that money there, I am making abortions more 
possible to happen. And furthermore, I am desiring abortions to happen so that I have a good outcome, a positive outcome. That is, you know, that I make money. Or, you know, you know the, I remember reading a long time ago, I don't know what the numbers are now, but I'm sure they're just as bad, if not worse. You, know, you look at the pornography industry. You know, when you look at the at Hollywood or Holly Weird, as I call it, in Holly Weird, when they when they make a, a, a you know a big block by you know a new Spider Man movie or something like that, you know they make one of the the big movies that's going to come out in the summer, and you know people are going to buy jillions of tickets to go see the movie. Well, you look at what they have to front up to make one of those movies. You know, some investor or a pool of investors or you know Paramount or you know one of those um, companies, you know, sits there, you know they have to invest. 20, 40, 50, 100 million dollars in one of these movies, hoping that it's going to sell enough tickets to make the investment back. Okay. And so, and, and we know there's a lot of movies out there that just turn out to be, you know, real, um, you know, clods that nobody really wants to go see. And some studios spent tens of millions of dollars on this thing and lost a lot of money because nobody wanted to go see the movie because it was a bomb. So the thing is, is that, you know, you have the Holly, the Holly weird movies that cost tens of millions of dollars to produce. You look at a porn movie, and again, I remember reading somewhere, if somebody has any better numbers on this, feel free to call the station and set me straight on this. But I remember reading somewhere that they said, you know, you can put together a porn movie for about $10,000, and that that porn movie, in turn, can generate hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, okay? So that's a pretty good return on your investment. And so if someone says, hey, you know, hey, porn's great business. You know, I've got, you know, there's this agency or there's this brokerage firm or whatever that can get you, you know, connected up with the porn industry. And then, you know, you make the, you know, you make you, you write them a check for $10,000 and they use your money to produce pornography with. And later on, you get a dividend check for you know, another $10,000 and you I double my money. That's a pretty good deal. And then someone might be saying to themselves, hey, it's not like I'm the pornography actor. I'm not the one that's doing those, you know, terrible actions in front of a in front of a, a camera or I'm not the cameraman. I'm not the one that's and besides, you know, people, what they watch in the privacy of their own home, you know, adults, that's their business. Who am I to judge? I'm just making a little bit of money here off the deal. What's the big deal? Well, we cannot do evil that good may come of it. And in a situation like that, where I am investing money in a pornography company specifically to make money off of the pornography, then I'm really no better than the person holding the camera. Okay. Now, the thing is, is there's other ways, though, that we might find ourselves, you know, more remotely connected to things like this. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about more in a more technical way in the second part of the program. But um, so, for example, what happens if somebody is saying, well, I have a mutual fund. We know what mutual funds are, right? That's where a fund manager, you know, you have thousands of people that have money in the bank and they go, well, my cash isn't doing anything for me in the bank. I'm going to invest it in the stock market somehow, but I'm not smart enough to pick stocks or I'm not brave enough to pick stocks. And so I go to a person that handles mutual funds. And so the mutual fund is just a whole bunch of other stocks where, you know, the, this this wealth management group takes a bunch of cash from people. And now they've got millions of dollars to play with and they'll put together kind of this mulligan stew of stocks. And so maybe a certain mutual fund has 3% of General Electric and 4% Walmart and, you know, 2% Ford and, you know, 5% American Airlines, whatever, you know, and just there's all these various companies all around the world that, um, you know, that make their, you know, 
sell their stock on the New York Stock Exchange. And so, you know, the, the manager of this of this portfolio will, you know, they, they might buy 60, 70 of these stocks. And so if you buy into the, you know, the ABC fund, you know, from this from this place that has that, that sells these mutual funds. And so, you know, of this of this fund that you invested, say, just he could, I don't know. Nobody has $100,000 just to throw around and play with, but I just want to do this to keep the math easy. But someone takes $100,000 and puts their $100,000 into this fund. And say the fund is 3% invested in, you know, this XYZ company, whatever it is. And so you're 3% invested in that company, and that company makes 5% of its revenue off selling things that are basically immoral, you know, maybe maybe it's a pharmaceutical company, you know, maybe that um, then some of its pro- its products are used for the death penalty for administering the death penalty. You know, it isn't so much that they make this stuff specifically for use in the death penalty, but it can be used, you know, to give people death by lethal injection. And so, here you have, you know, three percent of your money, so $3,000 or your $100,000, $3,000 is invested with this company, and this company's revenues, you know, 5% of its revenues come from this chemical which can be used in administering the death penalty. Or, again, another company, you know, that, you know, 5% of its revenues or 25% of its revenues, you know, come from making products that can be used um, for um, doing abortions. Well, the thing is, is you notice there's a big difference between someone that says, hey, abortions are pretty lucrative. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and invest in this company specifically because they supply the, the abortion industry with what they need. And, you know, abortion's big money. And so I'm going to cash in on, on the thing. Well, it's a different, there's a difference between doing that and buying this mutual fund that has all these other various um you know, stocks in it from, you know, dozens of different companies. And one of the companies makes a small amount of its money making things available, which can be used for immoral things. All right. Well, the thing is, is that in doing so, you're so remotely connected to the immoral activity that's going on, that there's really no culpability there. There's no moral culpability. And so that's kind of an important thing to understand. Especially, when, you know, in this day and age, you know, whenever we're going through all, having gone through all this mess with the COVID virus, and they're trying to come up with, you know, and they come up with a, with a vaccine for it, there's been a, a lot of discussion about, well, you know, some of these vaccines made by some of these companies make use of lines of cells. We'll talk about what that means here in just a second. Make use of lines of cells that were harvested out of the bodies of aborted children, of aborted babies. And so should I be getting a vaccine by which I am benefiting, you know, we, we get the vaccines, so we don't get COVID. And, and the same thing, the rubella vaccine is the same way. There's, there's a number of vaccines that use this. It's not just COVID. But should we be getting a vaccine? Should we be benefiting from some poor child that got ripped to shreds out of his mother's womb, you know, before he had a chance to be born? And so... Again, someone might say, you know, well, you know, we have to, you know, the, the baby's dead anyway. You might as well use the tissue for something beneficial. You know, I didn't commit the abortion. What's the big deal? I just want to be immunized. Well, we cannot do evil that good may come of it. 
All right. And so, you know, the, the thing is, well, you know, whenever, whenever we look at these various things, we have to look at the at, at our connection, at our cooperation with the evil and um, and, you know, find out if we're, you know, if we're culpable for what's going on here or not. Um, the other thing I think that we have to talk about, too, before we get to the second part of the program is the difference between something being objectively morally wrong and our culpability for that which is objectively morally wrong. You see, our particular culture does not believe in anything being objectively morally wrong. Our culture believes that rightness and wrongness or you know, good and bad or good and evil or right and wrong is determined by the feelings of the individual. Um, I remember some years ago when I was teaching, we were watching, I, I found that it was on the news and I was able to find it again. I showed it to my kids. Um, th- there was a girl at Notre Dame University, of all places, a supposed premier Catholic university in the United States. Well, don't get me started on Notre Dame. All I'll say is that if Notre Dame's Catholic, I'm the Pope. And I'm not the Pope, and that university ain't Catholic. You can probably get a good Catholic education if you go looking for it, but you have to look for it. You're not going to get it just because you walked into the, onto the campus. But nonetheless, I digress. Um, what the deal was, they, had, you know, they were doing kind of the man-on-the-street interview. And they were asking these Notre Dame students, you know, how do you know what's right or wrong? Now, if they're going to a Catholic university and they're being taught Catholic theology, you know, that, and that, the answer to that question is very easy. We know what's right and wrong because it's been revealed to us by God, number one. And number two, we have the natural law, you know, which tells us these things. And, um, and nobody can answer that question. There's one girl in particular. They said, well, how, how can you know what's right or wrong? And she goes, well, gosh, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I guess it depends on how you feel about it. But I guess since everybody feels differently, I guess you really don't know what's right and wrong now, do you? I thought, well, Tootsie, you know, if, if what you're saying is true, if um, right and wrong really is determined by feelings, then what that young lady said was true. There is no such thing as right or wrong, and we can't know what it is. The problem with that is, of course, is that it's false, and she herself doesn't believe it. And the way you prove it is you go up and you punch her in the face. Now, I'm not saying that we go punch anybody in the face. But if she was to get punched in the face, what would she do? She would say, you can't do that. And I would say, why not? You just got through saying that right and wrong, it depends on what I feel. And right now I feel like punching you in the face. How dare you judge me? Well, you can't do that, she would say. Well, why not? And so, again, she who just got through saying that right and wrong depends on individuals' feelings would be the first to appeal to a higher standard of morality, namely the law says that you can't do that. And she might say, well, the law says you can't punch me in the face. Well, then change the law. It used to be you couldn't abort babies. It used to be two people of the same sex couldn't get married. We changed the law. And so why not change the law that you can punch someone in the face if you want to, if, but more, more properly put, if you feel like it. So again, you know, the, the, the idea that objective right and wrong is something that kind of gets lost in our culture. But we know that it exists. And even those who say that it doesn't exist, they feel they, they do believe that it exists because if they were on the receiving end of someone just acting out of their feelings, they wouldn't like it one bit. So that's, you know, the first piece of that. The other thing that I alluded to earlier, because we're going to talk about, about this a lot in the next part of the program, when we're talking about the, um, the, the, va- the immunizations, the, the vaccines that we get, um, we talk about lines of cells. What the deal is with cells is, I learned this when I was in high school, bi- in college biology, cells are immortal. 
cells just continue dividing in a process called mitosis. And as long as you keep on giving them food and water and keeping them at the right temperature, cells just do this in, you know, indefinitely forever. And so what has happened is with some of the, of the vaccines that we use, they take advantage of what they call lines of cells, which means that, you know, the child that was murdered to obtain these cells was murdered like back in the 1970s. Okay. And then the cells were kept alive in the laboratory where they divide, you know, these particular kind of cells that are helpful in developing immunizations and so on. They're kept alive in the laboratory for decades as they just keep on dividing and dividing and dividing. And so by the time, you know, we get to, say, for example, the COVID-19 vaccine, the cells that were used either in the manufacture of the vaccine, which is very bad, or that were used to confirm that the vaccine that was developed that did not use any kind of aborted fetal stem cells at all, but we use, what was used to confirm that the, that the test worked um, are from these lines that are generations, many, many, you know, thousands of generations separated from the original cells that were, that were taken from the aborted child. And so while there is, you know, kind of a connection to that, the connection is so remote that the use of, the, of that vaccine would not be considered to be immoral. So again, those are sort of the, you know, kind of laying the, laying the groundwork for, for the second part of the program, which will, be, which will get a little bit more detailed, a little bit harder to kind of follow along with. But it all, it all goes back to, um, you know, um, St. Paul's um, statement that we cannot do evil that good may come of it. We cannot rob the rich to give to the poor. You know, we can't do something, we, we can't do something where we intentionally will and we intentionally do something that is evil to bring some kind of a, a, a good thing out of it. And so um, it, it's important to understand, you know, as, as Catholics and as human beings, you know, whenever we're trying to sort through these various things, whether it's, and again, whether it's investing our money, you know, if we're going to invest in something that's blatantly immoral, or if we invest in a way that, you know, it's, it's you know, so far remotely removed from it that um, there, there's no culpability there. Because again, you know, in American culture, there's no such thing as right or wrong. Right or wrong just depends on how we feel about it. In Catholic culture, right and wrong has been determined by God, and it's our job to figure out what it is. And so in the end, if I do something that's wrong, then when I appear before God for judgment, God's going to say, well, what about this? And if all I can say is I did it because I wanted to, um, that's called a mortal sin. You go to hell for that. Um, but if I appear before God and I say, you know, I didn't know that was wrong or I wasn't aware that I was that closely associated with it or whatever. And you can't lie to God. I mean, God's going to know. But we will see in the light of God's truth, we'll go, oh, you know, I get that now. But see, that's the difference between being guilty and being culpable or being accountable. I can be guilty of doing something very bad, but I might not be accountable for it depending on how remotely I was associated with it or just by ignorance. If it's called invincible ignorance, if I didn't know any better and I couldn't reasonably expect it to, to find out to know any better, then if, um, if I, even though I did something that was objectively morally wrong, then you know, I, will, I, will, I won't be accountable for that. 
So I think what we'll do is we'll stop here for take a little break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this in, in, in quite a bit of gray detail. Um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to do it on the radio because I almost need to be able to you know flash a chart up there or something. But um, we'll just talk about it and see if we can if we can you know, generate the same result. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the director of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I'm also the vic- the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina. Um, then I'm also, my, my, my joyful job, um, aside from being the rector of the, the parish, is also being a teacher at Sacred Heart High School, where I teach a great bunch of sophomores, Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the original one that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture here on the on Divine Mercy Radio on the Double-Edged Sword program. Everybody stay put, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Hey, gang, we are back. I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector or the pastor at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I am also the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina. And a couple hours a day, Monday through Friday, I teach Old and New Testament to a bunch of sophomores at um, Sacred Heart High School here in Salina, um, the, the job that I really enjoy doing. And you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on Divine Mercy Radio, on the fine family of Divine Mercy Radio stations, KBDM 88.1 Hayes, our original station, our flagship station, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And the deceptive nature of the culture we're, we're cutting to the heart of today is we're talking about cooperation with evil. And what happens when we find ourselves in a situation where we're drawn into something where it looks like, gee, should I be doing this? And um, a couple of the examples that we used from the from the last um, part of the the, pre, the first part of the program is, you know, what if I'm investing my money in something and the investment is tainted by you know some company that's involved with immoral practices? Um, well, it depends. You know, if I'm investing in the company specifically because they do immoral things, then I'm cooperating with that evil and I'm responsible for that. And so that's not good. Or, again, we talked about um, vaccinations, you know, because there's been a number of vaccinations that have come out. The one, you know, again, there's a, you know, a medical person out there that wants to call the call the station and set me straight on this. This isn't my field of expertise. But from what I understand, the rubella vaccine and um, and the mumps vaccine, I think it is, are made using the, the, the cells of aborted children. Um, the, I don't know if they're stem cells or what, but they use the, 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 the cells of aborted children as a, as a, you know, a, a component of making those, those, um, those, those vaccinations. And so we need to be asking ourselves, well, I'm benefiting. We're doing something good. You know, giving people vaccinations is a good thing. It keeps them from getting sick. But if it requires us to murder children to get that vaccine, should we be getting the vaccine? And um, that's going to be kind of the main part that we're going to talk about here in the second part of the program, because um, what ends up happening is, is, again, as we said in the first half of the program, you know, there is objective more. There is objective right and wrong. That is to say things that are right or wrong. And it doesn't make it how I feel about it. It is what it is. 
And um, in, in our culture, there are so many people, unfortunately, who have distilled morality down to feelings. If I feel good about it, it's okay. If I feel bad about it, then it's not okay. That's not a good place to be. We need to understand what is, what is objectively right and wrong. And so if there's something bad that I'm cooperating with, well, then we have to kind of understand, you know, what, what our degree of cooperation is and how guilty we are of it. And so, again, the, the, the whole thing here is called cooperation with evil. And I'm just going to kind of go through it. I'm just going to read the labels off. And then, which will probably confuse the heck out of everybody because it confuses me and I've got the charts in right in front of me. But then we'll go back and then instead of just looking at the labels, we'll apply it to a situation and, and see, see where it takes us. So what we have is, you know, with cooperation with evil, we have what's called the principal agent. Okay, that's the one who actually does the immoral evil act and is guilty of it. Then there's the cooperating agent. There's someone who assists in the evildoer in some way. And with the cooperation, you can have what's called material cooperation. You can have what's called immediate material cooperation. You can have remote immediate material cooperation. You can have formal cooperation. You can have immediate formal cooperation and proximate formal cooperation. Thoroughly confused yet? Don't worry, we'll straighten it out. So let's take for the example the case of an abortion. All right, that's always kind of an easy thing to to pick on here because it's so deplorable and we can understand it. The principal agent of an abortion is the abortion doctor. It's the one that's actually murdering the child. Okay, but then you have the cooperating agent, someone that, that assists in some way. Okay, so you, we, to have, when you have a formal cooperator, someone that formally cooperates with evil, they are equally as guilty as the person doing it. Okay, so if we have formal cooperation with an abortion, that would be, for example, the boyfriend that drives the girl to the clinic to get the abortion. Or it would be the, the nurse. I mean, it seems like a terrible, a terrible sullying of, the, of the, um, the, the title of nurse to call you know, someone that aids in an abortion. But you have, this, you, know, you have this person that's helping the abortion doctor murder the baby. That person is just as guilty as the abortion doctor. Okay? The, the receptionist, you know, when you call up and they go, you know, backwoods abortion, may we help you? Yes, you need to schedule an abortion. Okay, how about tomorrow at 3 p.m.? Okay, I'll be there tomorrow at 3 p.m. Okay, we got you down for tomorrow at 3 p.m. Okay, that person that answered the phone is just as guilty as the doctor ripping the baby to shreds. Okay, that's called formal cooperation. Okay, now, because in the, in the case of formal cooperation, the formal cooperator intends the immoral act to occur. All right. And since they intend it, they are just as guilty. It's the same thing, you know, in, in, in civil law. You know, if you have if you have someone that um, goes in and robs a bank and you got someone driving the getaway car and they both get caught, the person driving the getaway car, even though they didn't go in with the gun and hold at the bank, they still get charged with armed robbery just like the other person did. Okay, because, you know, they intended the thing to happen and they were a formal cooperator, right? But then you have what's called material cooperation, okay? In material cooperation, they don't, you know, in order for the, the, what happens here is they don't intend the immoral act to occur, okay? They may be guilty of it, but they don't intend, they, they don't directly intend for the immoral act to occur. And so, for example, say you have a bus driver, and on his bus route, I mean, he signs up with the city bus company and he drives a bus, you know, for the city transit. And, and they go, okay, well, Harvey, 
you know, you get bus route 19A. And okay, so he gets on the bus and he knows his bus route 19A and he stops at these various bus stops and picks up passengers and drops them off. And unfortunately for him, one of the stops on his, on his bus route drops people off at a bus stop that's a block away from the Backwoods Abortion Clinic, okay? And so, you know, he drops people off, you know, probably knowing that it's like, well, this young lady's probably going to walk down that block there and get herself an abortion today. The thing is, is does the bus driver intend for those abortions to happen? No. He just happened to be assigned the route that happens to have the Backwoods Abortion Clinic on it. You know, he didn't build the clinic. He didn't ask for the clinic to be there. Um, now, if he goes in and they go, well, Harvey, yeah, you were ready to hire you on. You took your training and everything. You're ready to be a bus driver for us. Here's our routes. Any particular route you want? Yeah, I want Route 19A because that drops people off for abortions, and I believe in abortion, and I want to help these young ladies get to their abortion clinic. Now, if he does that, then he's back to formal cooperation, okay? Then that would make him as guilty as the other ones, okay? But if he's just some hapless schlep that, you know, comes onto the scene and they assign him this route and his route happens to have the abortion clinic on it, he's not intending the, the abortions to happen. And so, again, he's, well, that would be called material cooperation. It's a little bit different, okay? And material cooperation is split up into what's called immediate and mediate, okay? Immediate cooperation is what provides the material for the, for the necessary, that is necessary for that immoral act to occur. Immediate cooperation is providing material that is not necessary for the immoral act to occur, all right? And so in, in the case of immediate cooperation, if you have immediate material cooperation, then that person is guilty, okay? Because they're, they're doing something that makes the, the immoral act possible, okay? And so again, like I said, if the guy says, I want to, you know, drive the bus on this route because I want to get people to those abortion clinics, you know, appointments. Well, then he becomes an immediate cooperator. If he's a, if it's immediate cooperation, that is to say, all I'm doing is driving the bus. I didn't ask for this route. I didn't ask, you know, I'm opposed to abortion. I can't help it that some people use my bus ride or my route to get to their abortion appointments. Well, then that would be called immediate cooperation. And so there is some question, the person, you know, may be guilty, but, you know, you know, probably not. Then of immediate cooperation, you have what's called proximate and remote. You have proximate, immediate cooperation, proximate, immediate material cooperation, and remote, immediate material cooperation, material cooperation, okay? And with proximate cooperation, it makes a contribution to the act that leads to the commission of the act, all right? In other words, somewhere along the line, someone... You know, maybe, for example, someone suggested to the young lady, you know, well, maybe you should think about getting an abortion. I don't know. You know, when someone says that, you know, they're contributing to this decision to murder the child. You know, they didn't take her to the clinic. They didn't do the abortion. You know, someone just kind of suggests it. Okay. But then you have re what's called remote cooperation. And remote cooperation makes a contribution to the act that does not lead to the, co to the commission of the act. All right. And in a case like that, there would be no guilt when there is a proportionally serious reason for doing so. All right. Now, so let's go back and look at a couple of the, um, of the examples that we had in the first part of the program. If I am investing money in a, like if I'm bankrolling pornography flicks, because I just happen to know 
that there's a lot of money to be made in pornography and I'm tired of getting paid 0.1% on my savings account. So I take $10,000 on my savings account and give it to somebody that, you know, that makes, you know, porno flicks. And they go, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I can, you know, kick you back 25% a year on that. And so now I'm making $2,500 a year on my $10,000 investment, which is pretty darn good. Well, in that case, you know, I intend the act to happen. I am providing the material that's necessary for the act to happen, cash. And, um, and I'm making a contribution, you know, for that to happen. So that's immediate formal cooperation, right? And so in such a case, I'm just as guilty as the person holding the camera, you know, and, and I can't sit there and say, hey, I just gave them the money. I didn't have any, no. By giving them the money specifically because I'm, wa- I'm wanting to cash in on the pornography industry, then that makes me a, an immediate formal cooperator, right? So that, that's bad news. Then, but then, you know, we talked about, well, what about investing my money in like in the mutual fund? where they take my money with a whole bunch of other people's money and they buy this basket of stocks, you know, and like I said, you know, the, you know, the stock might be in the mutual fund that I have might be, you know, 5% invested with General Electric and, you know, 2% invested with American Airlines and 4% invested with Amazon.com or, you know, whatever. And so I have all these, all, you know, this money is spread out over all these dozens and dozens of companies. Someone says, wait a minute, you're invested, you know, I, I, again, I took $100,000 and put it in this fund, and it's 3% invested in Amazon. So $3,000 of my money is invested with Amazon. And as we know, Amazon's a wildly successful company, and it makes a lot of money by selling, you know, delivering stuff to people that they, you know, have, just want to deliver to their door. And so you look at all the stuff that Amazon sells. I mean, you know, they sell everything under the sun. And I'm sure someone can get on their website and say, well, look at these immoral things that Amazon sells on, on Amazon, what is it, Amazon Video or whatever. They're on their video thing, you know, they, they have these immoral movies or, you know, they, they sell these things that are, that are bad, whatever they might be. And it's like, well, okay, Amazon is this huge company and how much of their money comes from the sale of these immoral things? And it's like, well, not very much, you know, maybe 1%, maybe 3%, something like that. And so, you know, of, of my, of the three, of the 3% of my money that's invested with Amazon and 3% of their income comes from these, these immoral things. And again, I'm not investing in Amazon because I'm saying, gee, if I invest in Amazon, Amazon sells this immoral stuff and I can make a lot of money. That's not the way it works. Because I know that, you know, the immoral stuff that Amazon sells doesn't make them that much money. And I'm not investing in them for that reason. And so that being the case, I'm not providing material that is necessary for the immoral act to occur. And I'm not making a contribution that leads to the commission of that immoral act. Because it's so so insignificant and so small. All right. And so, and, and, you know, I have no intention of that. You know, I do not intend for the immoral act to occur. Okay, so that being the case, what we have here is what's called remote immediate material cooperation. And it's so remote, I'm so far removed from it, that there's no guilt there. Okay, now, what about the, the case of the, of the immunizations? Where, again, some of these immunizations, a lot of them that we have all received as little kids probably, some of them use these lines. And again, by lines, we mean these lines of cells where... Many decades ago, they were taken from the bodies of murdered children, a little, you know, 
murdered um, abortion victims, and then they were kept alive in the laboratories, and they're just doing what cells happily do. They just sit there and keep on dividing and dividing to where now, you know, the, the cells that were used in the vaccine that someone got against rubella or against COVID-19 um, that were used either in the development of the vaccine or in the testing of the vaccine, those cells are so far removed. Those cells are, you know, thousands of generations removed from the original cells that were taken from the, from the aborted child. Now, does this mean that the thing is totally morally pure? No, it does not. It's morally tainted. But the thing is, is that by receiving the vaccine, am I going, hey man, I'm gonna go get this vaccine so they have to abort more kids. I'm not saying that, none of us are, okay? Or, you know, I like the fact that they're, you know, that after they, they take the aftermath of these abortions and turn them into vaccines. I think this is a good thing. Well, no, I don't like that either. And so I don't intend the immoral act to occur, number one. Number two, I am not providing material necessary for that immoral act to occur, okay? And number three, I'm not making any kind of a contribution to the act that leads to the commission of that act. And so therefore, there's no any kind of formal cooperation with that. What we do have is what's called remote cooperation. And that is to say that, you know, I'm, I make the contribution to the act. In other words, that is to say, by consuming the vaccine or by investing the money with that company that's investing in something that's kind of immoral, um, I am making a contribution, but it does it's not a contribution that leads to the commission of the act. Okay. In other words, you know, by using these these lines of stem cells, or I don't know if they're stem cells or not, but these lines of cells that come from the aborted children, they're not, it isn't like they have to go out and commit fresh abortions every day to provide these cells. These cells have been around forever. Okay. And so by consuming the vaccine, I'm not making a contribution that leads to the commission of the act. The act was committed decades ago, all right? So again, in, in the case especially of, 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 these, of these vaccines, and especially the most recent one being the COVID-19 vaccine, people are rightly concerned. You know, they, they hear in the media and so forth that, that um, you know, the, the cells of aborted children are used in the, in the, in the manufacture of these vaccines. Um, that's not totally true. There, there's about a half a dozen different vaccines out there. Some of them have, don't use any kind of, of fetal cells anywhere in their design or manufacture. Um, there's a few of them that, that um, there's, a, there's a couple of them that do, and they're, they're bad news. But even then, the couple of them that do, they're using these lines of cells that are so many hundreds and even thousands of generations removed from the first, you know, from, from the child from which they were taken, that, that it's so remote that there's really no moral culpability there anymore. And so we have to, we have to kind of keep that in mind. Now, uh, others are, they used um, some of the, the, the aborted cells, the lines of aborted cells to confirm that the, that the vaccine worked, okay? And that's a little bit different, but nonetheless, you know, in, in such a case, you know, we have what, what we have here is what's called remote material cooperation. It is, you know, again, it's so remote, we're so far removed from it that we're not guilt. There's no guilt as long as there's a proportionately serious reason for doing it. Well, the proportionately serious reason is saving lives. That's a pretty, that's a pretty serious reason. Now, at the same time, we should also be bringing the pressure to bear on the scientific community, on the legislators and so on. It's like, okay, 
you know, we need this vaccine to get past, you know, the, the, the pandemic. We, we needed this. Um, but now we also need to keep on working on ways in which we can generate these vaccines that don't require us to use any kind of material that comes from murdered children any way whatsoever, even if it is remotely connected. Um, but, you know, we have to make sure that we, you know, keep on bringing the pressure to bear on that. But, you know, hopefully I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to convince folks of is that, you know, we don't have to worry that we're violating some kind of moral law if we receive, you know, these various vaccines. And the, the, the main one that comes to mind is the one for rubella, which does use those, those aborted cell lines, which, which, which came from abortions that happened decades ago. And so, again, the cells that they're using are just many hundreds or perhaps thousands of generations removed from the original cells. Um, or, you know, again, with, with the COVID-19 vaccine, that, um, we, you know, we can receive that vaccine and not being cooperating with evil. Um, again, is, is, the max, is the vaccine, you know, 100% morally pure? No, it is not. But our cooperation with that evil is so remote that there's no guilt that's incurred, okay? That, um, that, that, um, that there's no moral culpability, there's no moral responsibility. Um, and so again, you know, the, hopefully that you know can give some people some some peace of mind if they've been having some second thoughts about getting the vaccine because they thought that well, you know, maybe um, you know this is a, this is connected with with abortion somehow, and I don't want to be promoting abortions by receiving um, the, this particular vaccine, which we can certainly understand that. But um, I, I think you know the thing is is that um, you know we, some people might ask the question they say if the vaccine is tainted in any way by being connected with an abortion doesn't that make the vaccine immoral anyone knowingly receiving the vaccine guilty of promoting abortion and the short answer is no it does not um, this is not an accurate portrayal of the catholic moral method in the past the church has evaluated similar situations as was the case with the german measles or rubella and decreed that the level of, of, of the person receiving the vaccine, the moral connection is so remote that there is no guilt incurred when there is a proportional reason for receiving the vaccine, such as the halt of the spread of a dangerous disease. So again, while our current vaccines are not 100% morally pure, it is morally acceptable to receive it. And, um, and we must, however, insist on further research and development of other means to fight the virus, which are 100% morally acceptable. And so, you know, we start with what we got, and then we try to get better. So that is our little discourse into what we call cooperation with evil. Remember, it goes back to St. Paul, chapter 3, verse 8, in the letter to the Romans, where he says, we cannot do evil that good may come of it, okay? We cannot go out there and directly will and directly do evil to try to bring something good out of it. But I think that what we've seen is in the in the examples of investing money or receiving, you know, the vaccines and the vaccinations that come out, that if as Catholics, if we sit around and wait for the 100% pure Catholic method on anything to come out, we're never going to get anywhere. You know, we just might as well just go hide in a basement somewhere. You know, th this is always a big thing that comes out, comes out every year whenever the elections come around. It's like, you know, you, you'll have a have a particular candidate for some office that's, you know, you know, batting a thousand on, you know, items one, two, and three on the Catholic agenda. You know, maybe it's with Catholic schools or abortion or same-sex marriage or something like that. And they're going, hey, the, you know, this candidate's, you know, they've got it down, but then they're for the death penalty. It's like, oh, we were doing so good until we got to that point, right? 
And so the thing is, is as Catholics, what we have to do is we have to evaluate, you know, what is the level of our cooperation with evil? If I'm voting for somebody because that person will promote abortion and I believe in abortion, so I want that person to do it. Well, that's called formal cooperation because I intend the immoral act to occur and I'm voting for this person so that it'll happen. But on the other hand, if I'm sitting there saying, well, I like where this person stands on these other issues, the important issues, maybe it's, you know, the death penalty or health care or, you know, education, whatever. And, but dang it, you know, he or she believes in abortion too. And I don't like that. You know, we can still vote for them in good conscience because, again, like I said, if you're waiting for the, for the perfect Catholic candidate to come along, you're never going to vote in an election anyway. And we're supposed to vote. And so, you know, sometimes as Catholics, you know, we got to hold our nose while we vote. Um, because we're voting for the lesser of two evils, but we have to get out there and get involved somehow. And so, again, I think that um, understanding these levels of cooperation with evil, um, whether it's formal cooperation or, you know, material cooperation and all the little varying layers in there that we just talked about, you know, that helps us to, um, to you know, make a better decision. So, again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. You've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations on KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and the station that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And we always invite people here on the Double-Edged Sword program. If you have an idea for a future program, if you have a question or something on your mind and um, you want us to look into it for you, you can call the station anytime here at 785-621-4110 and um, talk to Danetta or talk to somebody there in the office and they'll take down your idea and we'll do some homework and see if we can put some on the air for you. You can also check out our website at www.dvmercy.com. That's V as in Victor, dvmercy.com. And on the, on the website, you'll find archived installments of the Double-Edged Sword program done by me or some of my other brother priests. Uh, maybe you heard something at one time on the radio and you had to park the car and you couldn't finish listening to it. Um, you can tune in there and listen to it at your leisure. Um, also, we have the One Body Show, which is also locally produced here, you know, for, for Divine Mercy Radio. So we have two locally produced shows, which is quite a deal for a, a small operation like ours. And you can feel free to tune to those anytime you want as well and listen to past installments. So again, we thank you for tuning in to, to this program today. Again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the, the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I'm also the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina. And um, I teach sophomore religion at Sacred Heart High School. I teach my 15-year-olds Old and New Testament. And you've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on Divine Mercy Radio. We're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And we thank you for tuning in. We look forward to catch you on the next installment. Until then, God bless and goodbye.